0: Please stand by. Good morning, everybody. Gosh, it's good to be here with you this morning. I do hope you're well. I really, really hope, if it's in the early morning, like it is here, that you had a restful night, that you enjoyed your time of rest, and here we are in this. 9 o'clock hour, we're getting ready to have a Bible study again on the wonderful letter of Paul to the Galatians. We're going to pick up here this morning at the 6th chapter, and probably I'll go right on through the 6th chapter and and hold it together that way at least as I talk with you about it. But again, let me say how a privilege it is to join with you in the study of the Bible. I'm delighted to be here. I really am. And I know you are. You wouldn't be listening. You'd be gone listening to something else. But I'm ready for you. I've got my tools. I've got my my little living Bible here, which is a paraphrase and easy to understand. Some of the concepts are made very clear in that paraphrase. I've got my coffee, which is absolutely necessary to my survival. And I have it here just in case you understand, in case I have to reach for it in order to live. And incidentally, today, I also have my friend here. who This this is Theodore Bayer. If there's any children out there, I hope you see him because he's waving to you. See him waving to you? He he, he loves me, and I don't know why. He, he doesn't think much about it, but he just loves me. He doesn't have any opinions about anything. So we get along very well, and we've known none other for a number of years. So he sits over here beside me and makes sure I'm doing everything right. So there you are. Get over there, Theodore, and sit up there. Well, let me begin with a prayer. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the times in the ministry of St. Paul, for his ardour and his vigilance. For his carrying the Christian message to Gentiles. For his love of your Holy Word. For his vision of a future. A world with churches in it. And hope because of Jesus. So we just take a moment to thank you for his life. If any of us have burdens this morning. Uh, Lay them down at the foot of the cross that Paul pictures for us. Let yourself know that Jesus is with you all day long. All you have to do is turn to him and he's there. Thank you, Jesus. Be with us in this time of study. Give us joy and fun. For we thank you and praise you. Amen. Well, well, Let's read the text. Galatians chapter 6, the last chapter of this wonderful letter. We begin. Dear brothers, if a Christian is overcome by some sin, you, who are godly, should gently and humbly help them back into the right path. Remembering that next time it might be one of you who is in the wrong. Share each other's troubles and problems. And so, obey our Lord's command. If anyone thinks they are too great to stoop to this while they are fooling themselves, they are really a nobody. Let everyone be sure that they are doing their very best, for then they will have the personal satisfaction of work well done and won't need to compare themselves with someone else. Each of us must bear some faults and burdens of their own, for none of us is perfect. those who are taught the Word of God should help their teachers by paying them. Don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. A man will always reap just the kind of crop they sow. If they sow to please their own wrong desires, They will be planting seeds of evil, and they will surely reap a harvest of spiritual decay and death. But, if they plant the good things of the Spirit, they will reap the everlasting life which the Holy Spirit gives them. Let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing. If we don't get discouraged and give up. That's why whenever we should always can be kind to everyone, especially to our Christian friends. I will write these closing words in my own handwriting. See how large I have to make the letters. Those teachers of yours who are trying to convince you to be circumcised are doing it for just one reason, so that they can be popular and avoid the persecution that they would get if they admitted that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those teachers who submit to circumcision don't try to give the other, keep the other Jewish laws. But they want you to be circumcised in order that they can boast that you are their disciples. As for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus. Because of that cross, my interest in all the attractive things of the world was killed long ago. And the world's interest in me is also long dead. It doesn't make any difference now whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we really have been changed into new and different people. May God's mercy and peace be upon all of you who live by this principle and upon those everywhere who are really God's own. From now on, please don't argue with me about these things, for I carry on my body the scars of the whippings and wounds from Jesus' enemies that mark me as his slave. Beloved, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Sincerely, Paul. And there is the reading of this chapter for our day's consideration. It's a conclusion. It's a closing remarks. What I'm going to do with it is cut it right in half and show you how one side of the thing demonstrates Paul's relationship with the new Christians there in the little fragile churches of Galicia. On the one hand, and on the other, his relationship with his Savior, with with Christ. So I go about one through ten is about that, and then on eleven through the end of it is about Paul and his relationship with God and his and Jesus, his Savior. But first, we're going to look at the half that talks about th- this wonderful admonitions that he gives to this early church, how they should be uh, in fellowship with one another. The the Greek word koinonia is the word for fellowship, and it is a mark of the church down through the ages. It's probably one of the first marks. Koinonia, you see, fellowship developed long before liturgy developed in the early Christian church, I dare say. I, I, I believe that my own self. That liturgy flowed out of fellowship. I know in the real world, uh, a big church is impressive sometimes and it looks like they got it all together. They got a big building and a pile of money and a whole bunch of people and, you know, eight, 10, 12 computers flying around. You would think that you'd look at it and you say, oh, well, they got it together. But very often, in the life of the church, church starts and ends small. I mean, real small. And, and away from denominations, period. Uh, in Bible study groups is, is where, where the real nitty gritty of the Christian life begins to flow. Uh, in, in the Wesleyan Methodist movement, it was covenant discipleship groups that met together in little bands, they called them. That was the, that was the fuel. That was the engine that drove early Methodism. Not big churches, not good preaching, all that stuff. That was later. What first began it was these intense prayer groups that met mostly in private homes all around, all over England. But even today, no matter where you go, you're going to run into a prayer group somewhere. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing. Because what you do there. Is you do what Paul says do. In that small group. You share each other's troubles. And problems. As he says in the second verse. And in the first verse. He says you can humbly help. People back on the right path. Remembering that the right next time. Might be you. And so obey god's commands i had a what they call what we call a bible study group in my home uh, oh, years and years ago and people would come bring snacks they'd come in on friday night we did it they would come and bring donuts and so forth and i bet you we had no more than a dozen people but it was a marvelous weekly retreat for those of us that love one another and were Christians, we did study our Bible a little bit but, and, and somebody would give us a favorite scripture or talk about what that scripture was and spoke to them that week. but food was a part of it i mean we had we had cake, we had pie, we had coffee, we had all kinds of good things, and we were friends we became close friends. why because we were living out this Christian life in koinonia, the fellowship of sharing one another's burden. And this Bible study group didn't go on very long in, in, the, in the evening until that, that the, the needs of the people began to emerge. And one of the things that we would do would be gather around a central chair, and the person with a problem or a need or a burden would sit in that chair and then all the members of the Bible study group would gather around that chair and lay hands on them and pray for them and whatever their needs were. And that was, that was how we negotiated sharing our problems and blessing one another. And it was a marvelous thing, just, just a wonderful thing. In fact, it was so strange in my community that people driving by would see all the cars at my house on a Friday night, and they would say, what in the world is going on there with Thomas' house? What are they having, some kind of a party or something? I don't like the looks of it. And I I had one friend that drove past there several times in a pickup truck, looking looking to see what was going on. And then he finally asked me one day, he said, what are you all doing in there? And I said, we have a Bible study group. Would you like to come? He said, why not washing our clothes? I said, well, we got donuts, and we got all kinds of coffee and good things, and we get together and talk about our problems. He said, that sounds interesting. And he showed up. <laughs> Just out of pure curiosity, these little churches in Galatia, I want to submit to you, were not entirely unlike that. Now, you may say, well, how did they get together like that? What in the world? It enabled them to get together they didn't have any automobiles, they didn't have they, and my goodness, how would they travel that distance to, to get together as a small group on, 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 a, on, a, on a scheduled basis like that? And you know what what archaeology tells us about Galatia and around through the Holy Land generally is that in that day much of the living was called insular insular living, just like apartments. If you go to Capernaum in the uh, on the uh, uh, Sea of Galilee, the little town that Jesus ministered in and where Peter lived, archaeologists there are digging up these little houses, and they're not ten feet square, but it's a hundred of them in a, in a block. I mean, those people were living on top of one another. They were getting their water brought into them by Roman aqueduct. They had water in the town. Or well, or water, and they had uh, uh, food could be purchased and bought, and life was insular. So, it was possible to have small groups meet and flare up and grow up right under their feet, right in those little towns. Now, Paul has this little admonition here. He says, if anyone thinks he's too great to stoop to this, they're fooling themselves. If you won't let your neighbors pray for you. And take care of you you're just fooling yourself those who are taught the word of god should help their teachers by paying them now that doesn't mean a salary necessarily you can pay people a lot of different ways you can pay them in kindness you can pay them in in love you can you can meet their needs when they get in a hole or get in the problem there are all kinds of ways you can pay somebody but What he's, what he said here is you have to look out for taking care of people. You know, people brought things collectively to my house to eat. I wasn't responsible for that. They took care of that, cleaned it up, and went out of there with it. It's, it's, it's paying for spiritual nourishment. That's, that's, that's all that it is. But, you must do that. You must kick in had a great church trustee one time. said His stewardship program was he'd get up in front of the congregation and say, it's time to pony up. <laughs> pony up. That means give up what you have for somebody else. You can't get away with it, he says. Yeah. Now, Paul is saying this because he wants them to understand this because he probably had heard, that they were getting a little too formal or a little too rigid. Perhaps they were uh, not listening to the needs of others. Maybe, I don't know why, but these instructions are a response to something that he's concerned about. He wants them to share. He wants them to be humble. He wants them to get back to the Word of God, get back to Christ, get back to Jesus. He wants them to come away from this thinking. That they can stand alone, motivated by the law. And by being obedient to the law, they can do all that they need to do to be saved. And That's not what Paul is interested in. He wants them to be kind to one another. I like the saying, uh, it's better to be kind than it is to be right. It's better to be kind than it is to be right. Sometimes, I have a tendency to want to be right. And the problem with that is kindness sometimes goes out the window. No, you you can be right, but you can keep it to yourself and you can be kind. You don't have to be judgmental unless you want to. And if you do, something needs to be tended to. You you need the understanding that God, God in Christ was, was kind. If you look at the Gospels and learn from Jesus, any one thing about Jesus, he thinks that you are. He needs to be kind rather than right. He does it over and over. When he calls his disciples, he could have called brilliant rabbis, but he, in his kindness and his love in general called fishermen and you know tax collectors, things like that, ordinary people, ordinary humble people. No, these are instructions of how people who are free in Christ and walking by God's Spirit should treat each other. See, that the way you treat each other determines the level of your Christian walk, according to Paul here. And this is koinonia. Koinonia. Koinonia is a, a hallmark of certain kinds of religions. The Christian religions, I just say. Uh, Amish people are really big into this koinonia. And, and food and farming and going to the earth and not changing anything, but remembering that you are a community where you love one another and take care of one another to the, almost to the exclusion of the outside world. And this is the way the church was developing that way. And one of the arguments against them at all the time was that they were too, too self-centered, self-focused. But it works. It, and it, German Pietism is known for its food and its friends. I mean, if you can ever get to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, go to Amish country up there and go to a, a restaurant because they just they just know how to cook and they know how to eat. Well, these little home prayer groups with no resources, no budget, living in insular lives. Before the invention of donuts, I imagine, started up the church. That's how she pumped and started in the beginning. Now, Paul, in the second half of this closing little letter, talks about his time with Jesus. I have, he says, uh, I will write these closing words. And this is verse 11, see, in my own handwriting. See how large I have to make the letters. He obviously has some trouble vision, perhaps. Maybe that's a thorn in the flesh. I don't know. Sometimes it is mine. But he then turns on those teachers again trying to convince them that they need to be circumcised for one reason or the other. And And he believes that they're doing it so that they can be popular and avoid the persecution they would get if they admitted that the cross of Christ alone can save. So you see, he believed that. He believed that the cross of Christ was all that was necessary for salvation. And the teachers, he says, you know, he talks about those false teachers. They were into teaching who who submit to the circumcision. But yet don't try to keep the other Jewish laws. But they want you to do that in order that they can boast that you are their disciples. Yeah, that's right. Boast that you are their disciples. When I was baptized, a Methodist preacher, I went to see him baptizing my child. And uh, he he was sitting on the back porch smoking a cigarette in his underwear in the hot summertime. I thought that was a heck of a way for a preacher to go around, but he did. That's the truth of it. And his wife escorted me to him, and I told him what I wanted him to do. I wanted to baptize my my daughter. And he said, I'm not going to do it. He knocked the actual cigarette. And I said, why won't you do it? What's wrong? He said, because you're not baptized yourself. I checked the records and you ain't baptized either. Took a and I thought, my God, well, how about this? I'll make a deal with you. If you baptize me, will you baptize my daughter? He said, yeah, I'll do it then, but only then. And we did. And that's how I was baptized. I was baptized mad. I got down on one knee and looked him right in the face when he put that water on me. I didn't know the benefit of it. I didn't need to know it. All I knew that it had been done. And for years, every time we'd go to a Methodist conference, there would sit that preacher over there on the front row looking up at me at the Methodist conference, and he would laugh and poke at his buddies and say, see that one up there? Yeah, that one. He would say, he's mine, lock, stock, and barrel. He would brag about me, how he had baptized me unwillingly. And now I was another Methodist preacher just like he was. You see, times can change things, time can make things, but he was all, he always boasted about the fact that, that I was his disciple. Well, that cigarette, you know, that killed him, that killed him. He, he didn't last t- t- too long before lung cancer got him. And I would, I, I just, uh, I just miss that old guy every day because he was one of the best preachers I ever had, but I didn't like him all that much when I had him. it worth telling was gone that I appreciate. As for me, Paul says, God forbid that I should boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You not to boast about your cross. Where's your cross? You got a cross? Well, it's the only thing that, that really matters. I had a, a uh, choir director one time in a, in a large church and we, we, we were doing processionals at the time. All the choir would come in behind a big processional cross. And I noticed the choir director wouldn't participate in the, uh, processional. So I said to her, I said, why won't you process with the choir? And she said, oh, I'm not following that cross. I said, you're not going to follow the cross and you are conducting our choir. Why won't you follow the cross? And she said, well, I think, I think it's an idol. She said, I think it's an idol. I'm not going to follow. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. She said, I'm not going to do it. I said, all right, don't do it. (laughs) We're not going to make you do it. it, But it was a strange-looking thing to see that choir director come in through one of the back doors to get into the choir loft to direct the choir because she wouldn't follow the cross. Well, Paul follows the cross. I follow the cross, too. Because, you know, you don't always have roses. Sometimes life brings thorns and suffering. And that's when you need your cross. That's when you need God's mercy. And peace upon all who live by this principle. Everywhere who are really God's own. And then Paul in the 17th verse does this wonderful thing, which I I get kicked out of. He says, yeah, from now on, please don't argue with me about these things. (laughs) For I carry on my body the scars of the whippings and wounds from Jesus' enemies that mark me as his slave." You know? Now, you know, Paul could probably pull back his robe or his tunic and turn around and show those people the marks on his back because he was beat time and time again, lashed and whipped and hit with stones. And he, he just was dinged up real bad, real bad, real bad. And he wasn't about not showing you about that either. Not not either. And so Whippings and wounds mark him as his slave. Oh, dear brothers, he concludes, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, he says. Sincerely, sincerely, Paul. Now, this is how he closes the sixth chapter. So you see, we had two halves of it. One of Paul's last words is, take care of one another, share with one another, each of you all, share your burdens with one. another. If you have a burden, lay it down. Share it with with somebody you love. And he talks about Jesus, about how you must follow the cross and to keep to keep going on a road that leads to heaven and heaven's glory. And and remember that. And don't don't argue about this no more. Don't don't argue about it. Don't get caught in a knockdown fight over some Christological point. Just Hang with, be kind. You don't need to be right all the time. Be kind part of the time. Well, that concludes my work on the sixth chapter. And I want you to know that I've enjoyed being with you doing a study of Galatians. And I do hope that you have a wonderful day. And I hope that you have a, a great week. And I hope to see you sometime in the future when again we can sit down together and have some fun and learn about the Savior of the world, Jesus. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we attach this benediction to you, for you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We worship you and love you above all things. We mercifully and tenderly want you to walk with us For the rest of this day and in the weeks to come, thank you, Lord. Bless this ministry. May those who conduct it do so with joy and peace. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Farewell.